As I've said several times in this series of sermons on the pastoral epistles as we've gone through 1 Timothy, this is a, a letter from Paul, an experienced pastor, to Timothy, a young pastor. And as we've seen in this letter, Paul has already dealt with many different areas of church life. As I pointed out a moment ago, he's already dealt with uh, what a biblical elder is to look like and what a biblical deacon looks like. And so it's only fair that he also deal with what a biblical pastor would look like as well. Now, everyone has an opinion about the pastor. That just kind of goes with the territory. We know sometimes people like us, and sometimes they just particularly don't. Uh, we realize that some folks in this congregation, you know, they'll take to us. And other people, you know, can't, can't quite figure us out, and they more tolerate us along the way. We know that there are some times when there are people who just couldn't stand for us to leave. Other times when people just can't stand for us to stay. It just kind of goes with the territory in every church with every pastor. Well, you know, your opinions of me are nice. But there's really really, only really one opinion that matters, isn't there? And that's God's opinion. You know, I always have told myself over the years that as long as I'm doing what, what, what God is, I believe God's called me to do, as long as I'm, I'm being what I think God expects me to be, then I can press on with confidence, regardless of whatever the human opinions may be at the moment. Oh, I want you to like me. <laughs> Let's be clear about that. I want you to think I'm a good guy, that I'm a faithful pastor, and I'm a wonderful preacher and all that. But what I really want at the end of it all is for God to be pleased with me. And for one day, to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. His opinion matters most. And so that's why this passage is so important to me. It gives us God's opinion of a biblical pastor. Several years ago, we took a group to uh, Orlando for the National Conference of Ligary Ministries, and I heard John MacArthur preach on this text. And it was probably the most uh, significant sermon I've ever heard that's impacted my own life. And so when I wonder what God thinks of me, what God thinks I ought to be doing, I turn to this text or I pull out the notes from that sermon or I listen to the tape, which I keep in my truck. Probably listen to it a dozen times. And I'm actually going to use his outline this morning as I flesh out what this text tells us this morning about what is a biblical pastor. I'll warn you up front and give you 12 things. But we'll move quickly. What is a biblical pastor? First, Paul says in verse 6, he is a protector. Good pastor protects his people from the ever-present danger of false teaching. As we've seen, that's one of the main concerns Paul had as he wrote this letter to this young pastor whose name was Timothy. He was pastoring a church in Ephesus. And there were false teachers who had risen from within the church. You might remember all the way back in uh, chapter 1, he admonished Timothy in verse 3, instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. And then 
in the first part of this chapter that we looked at last week. He, he talked about how some are going to fall away from the faith, and one of the reasons they fall away is because of the presence of false teachers, or false teaching, what he calls in verse 1 of this chapter, deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Paul was urging this young pastor to be bold, to take a stand against false teaching. You see, false teachers tell the people of God what is contrary to the word of God. And Paul is telling Timothy here in verse 6, basically to point out these things, these things that are not true, are not right, that are out of accord with Scripture to the people. Verse 6, and pointing out these things to the brethren, he says, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. It's so easy to be led astray, isn't it? So easy to be led astray by teachings that seem to be so appealing but are contrary in the end to what the Word of God says. Any kind of easy believism, any sort of prosperity gospel, any sort of kind of name it and claim it doctrine, any idea of instant sanctification, any idea of not really having to take up your cross and and follow Jesus, they're all so appealing. But they are false teachings that confront and confuse the people of God. And one of my responsibilities as your pastor is, is Paul was telling Timothy is to point these things out to you. To identify what is outside the realm of biblical teaching or what is not in accord with biblical theology. It's my responsibility, along with the elders here, to say that cannot be taught here in this church. It's out of accord. And there's so much information out there today, isn't there? I mean, there's a plethora of books. And then in our, our world today, you can just access any kind of information with the click of a mouse. And wise Christians are discerning and careful about what they read and what they believe. And and wise pastors, Paul says, point out these things to their people and protect them from it. So he's a protector. Second, a biblical pastor is a servant. He's a servant. Again, notice... What Paul tells Timothy in verse 6, in pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. What does Paul say about a a pastor here? He says he's a servant. Now in the context, he's saying you'll be a good servant if you point out these false teachings to your people. But the point here is that Paul says a pastor is a servant. That's what Timothy was. You're a servant. And it's that, at its core, that's what I am to be. I'm a servant. Now, yes, I am a servant of Christ Jesus, as Paul says of Timothy here. And yet, as I serve Christ, folks, I am your servant as well. When you call, I am to respond. When you are burdened or weighed down, those burdens weigh me down as well. If you are in a time of sorrow and sadness, 
I'm called upon to serve you by sharing that with you as well. There is a sense in which your life dictates mine. And in which your circumstances determine my circumstances. That's a part of being a servant. I'm here to serve Christ. And I'm here to serve you. And if there's anything a young pastor needs to realize, it is first and foremost that he is a servant. It troubles me there are many young pastors, it seems to me, that don't quite get it. That's one thing that attracted me to Gavin. Right off, Gavin got it. What does the Bible say about Jesus? Say about Jesus. It says he did not come to serve, to be served, but to what? To serve. And to give his life a ransom for many. And that's to describe the life of a pastor also. A pastor doesn't come to a church to see what the church can do for him. But rather a pastor comes to the church to serve the people. I was talking with a ruling elder of another church recently, and he said, well, we're, we're hung up on, our, our, on finalizing our budget for, for this year. He said, uh, because our pastor is, is no, negotiating a raise in his salary. Negotiating a raise? We're servants. Servants of Christ and of the church. We serve at the will of the church, folks. I'm here at your service. And pastors take what churches are willing or able to give. Oh, I've negotiated my salary before. I negotiated down. I told the officers, if you're going to cut other areas of the budget, you need to cut my salary too. And I've told the elders and deacons, don't consider a raise for me this year. But to negotiate a raise as a servant of Christ? All right, let's, let's move on. Third, a pastor is a student. None of us ever stop learning. And those who teach and preach are in a continual search for greater knowledge. And the knowledge that we seek is the knowledge of God's word. What Paul calls at the end of verse 6. Don't worry, I know I'm still into verse 6. We're going to move along much more quickly in a moment. And he calls the words of the faith and of sound doctrine which you have been following. But in my text, it, it doesn't talk about just knowing those things. It talks about being nourished by them. He tells Timothy, constantly being nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. It's being fed spiritually. The word of God is our food and our drink. It's our primary source of spiritual nourishment. And it's so easy, isn't it, to replace other books of favorite authors and spend more time reading the writings of other people than we do what God has written. pastor is to be a student of the scriptures constantly nourished on the words of the faith there's a sense in which what I do here from this pulpit should be an outflow of what I gain 
during the week spiritually. Not just an intellectual, biblical lesson. Oh, I do that. I do that. I teach uh, some online courses and New Testament survey and Jesus and the Gospels. I teach it. But folks, this is different. I'm going to get to that a bit more later. This is different. This is an overflow. An outpouring should be of the nourishing of my own soul. And folks, if I'm not nourishing my soul, this isn't going to help you at all. Don't come here for a lecture. We come here for spiritual nourishment. That's why Paul's telling Timothy, look, you nourish yourself. You be nourished on the words of the faith and of sound doctrine. Fourth, a pastor is a man who pursues godliness. In verse 7, Paul says, on the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. We saw in chapter 3 when we looked at the biblical qualifications for elders and deacons that the key to effective church leadership is character. What a man is far outweighs what a man can do. You know, it's so easy, isn't it? Even on the presbytery level, it's so easy to be impressed by man's gifts or with his knowledge or with his speaking skills or with his personality. But as impressive as those things may be, they're all secondary to personal godliness. An effective ministry is an overflow of the godly life. And godliness doesn't come easily. Paul's exhortation here to Timothy is to discipline yourself for it. That word discipline is the Greek word gymnazo, from which we get the word gymnasium or gymnastics. It means to train or to exercise. You have to strive after godliness. You have to work for it. You have to pursue it. You have to discipline yourself for it. But notice that the discipline really is not the focus here. It's not discipline in and of itself. It's discipline for godliness. Timothy was to make personal godliness a primary goal in his life. He was to pursue it. That's our ultimate goal here, isn't it? God says what? Be holy as I am holy. And your life in the church ought in some way to have that end in your life. It ought to be giving you a more of a desire for holiness. And more of an understanding of how do I pursue that? How do I achieve that in my own life? Because if that's not our ultimate goal in life as believers, if it's not our ultimate goal here as a church, we've got the wrong goal. We want to be like Him. And if our times together in worship, in teaching, in fellowship aren't doing something to give you a desire to be more like God and more like Christ, then we're missing the mark. I am to pursue godliness. Now look, don't sit out there and think I'm a paragon of virtue. I'm some godly man ask my wife about that. I'm a fellow struggler. I'm a sinner saved by grace just like you are. 
And I sin just like all of you do. And I trust in 1 John 1, 9, like Stephen mentioned this morning, if I confess, God's faithful to forgive me. It's the pursuit of godliness, the disciplining ourselves for it. That's important. If, in, it's what you ought, you ought to see in your pastor is some desire to be a godly man. And that's true of all your elders and deacons. We ought to be saying to you, follow me as I follow Jesus. And pointing you to him. People who stand here and people who do this ought to be people who are pursuing godliness and Christ-likeness. Fifth, a pastor is to be a hard worker. Paul said to Timothy in verse 10, for it is for this that we labor and strive. Now those are both two forceful words. To labor means to work to the point of weariness or exhaustion, and to strive means to engage in a struggle. That word to strive is really the Greek word from which we get the English word agony, agonizing. Paul's telling Timothy to work hard. Struggle for it. Labor and strive. Now I realize I'm in a profession that doesn't have a reputation of being hard workers. The joke is we work three hours a week, two hours on Sunday and one hour on Wednesday. Let's be real honest. Sometimes that reputation is deserved. I know this is a profession which you can slack off if you want to. I've told you before, I remember saying in another sermon before Gavin got here, I'm out there by myself. You can't even see, can you, from the road? You got to drive in there to see if I'm there. It's a profession where if you want to be lazy, you can do it. But a biblical pastor is a hard worker, diligent, responsible, and he realizes that even though the people can't see, God can. God can. Labor and striving. Sixth, a pastor is a man of authority. A man of authority. Verse 11, he says, prescribe and teach these things. When you're sick, you go to the doctor, and we've got several doctors in our congregation, and you're sick, they know the right thing to do, don't they? They know how to treat you, they know how to make you well. And what do they do? They write a prescription, they prescribe something for you. And you know the doctor's got some sense of what is going on here. And you, if you are smart, what are you going to do? You're going to take that prescription. You're going to go to the drugstore. And you're going to get it filled. And you're going to take it. The doctor has prescribed this remedy for you. And Paul is saying to Timothy, you prescribe. You give the prescription to the people. You prescribe these things. You teach these things. 
And there is a sense of authority that comes from being a pastor of a church. But our authority only comes from this book. The only authority I have is what is written in the pages of Scripture. That's why we commit ourselves to it. That's why we devote ourselves to it. Because this is, we believe, the authority, the power of God. I mentioned a moment ago, there's a difference. This, This is a different setting from teaching a class. This is a worship service, and this is a sermon. And we believe that sermons are empowered by God. Sermons from the book have some authority in them. And that's why it's so important for those of us who hold this book and open it and read from it and prescribe from it and teach from it, do so accurately. What do they do for a doctor who prescribes the wrong thing? He's guilty of what? Medical malpractice. And a preacher who preaches and prescribes the wrong thing is guilty of spiritual malpractice. why we need to be careful. That's why both of us spend lots of hours right over there. Being careful. Being careful. That what we teach you and what we teach your children is according to the book. We prescribe and teach the right things. Seventh. A pastor is a good example should be. Verse 12, Paul tells Timothy, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather, in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Show yourself an example of those who believe. And that, quite honestly, is the most difficult part. I said it earlier when I was preaching on elders and deacons that they are, they are the example that you are to follow. They are the leaders and they'll be out front kind of setting the path. And the same is true for me and for Gavin and I role as the pastors of this church. If my example, if my life doesn't match what I teach, then I lose my credibility real quickly. And Paul names five specific areas where that ought to match. Speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Now I know all too well that what I say and what I do doesn't always match. I was having a heart to heart with one of my sons not long ago about his own walk with the Lord. And I said, I had to tell him, look, I know, I know that my life was inconsistent. And I know you do not always see from me in life what you heard from me from the pulpit. But 
Paul's admonition is we be an example. An example in speech, in your speech, in your conduct, in your love, in your faith, and your purity. Eighth, a pastor is a, is a Bible teacher. In verse 13, until I come, he says, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. This is, folks, the primary responsibility of the teaching elder. For Gavin and for me, when we teach, that is what we ultimately have been called to do. Now we do lots of other things. We do a lot of pastoring, shepherding, loving, encouraging, praying, consoling, the most important thing we do is this. That's why Paul says to Timothy, you give attention to it. You devote yourself to it. Because it is the most important part of the ministry. Ninth, a pastor is to be faithful. Specifically faithful to use his spiritual gifts. Verse 14, Paul says, do not neglect, neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Every believer we say has at least one spiritual gift. I hope that you can identify at least one in your life. Pastors are to have gifts, some gifts, designed for ministry. And it's the responsibility of the presbytery, the way we do business in the Presbyterian church, is the responsibility of the presbytery to determine whether a man has suitable gifts for the ministry. Once the presbytery makes that determination, lays hands on a man, ordains him, sets him apart, then the man is responsible. Paul is saying here to Timothy, use those gifts wisely. Now, among those of us who are called to do this, there are a wide variety of gifts and of giftedness. I realize I have some gifts for pastoral ministry. Some of them are some of them are strong, I think. But, you know, after almost 35 years of doing this, I realize i got something I really need to work on. And, and, you know, you realize that God doesn't give the gifts equally. You know, hey, there are a lot of guys out here a lot more gifted than me. But my concern is not what gifts God has given to someone else. My concern is what God, gifts God has given to me. And he's going to hold me accountable for using those gifts in a way that is suitable and honoring to him and a blessing to the congregation. Tenth, a pastor is to be focused. Paul says in verse 15, take pains with these things, be absorbed in them. The King James, New King James says, give yourself entirely to them. It means to be totally absorbed in the ministry. And a faithful minister is that. He is absorbed in the ministry. And to be honest with you, that's one of the, that's one of the unique things, I think, about the ministry. It is, it is all-consuming. We never leave it. It never leaves us. I may leave the office, but... I don't leave it and I don't leave you. It's all absorbing. A 
I told you before, when I wake up at night, I'm praying for you this, during the 4 o'clock this morning. I was praying for Michelle Keeper, praying for Carol Seacrest, praying for John Tripton, praying for John McCann. It's my life. If I leave town, don't think I leave it. Don't think I leave you. I take you with me. Talk about days off in the ministry. There are no days off in the ministry. Oh, you may not do the things you normally do, but a faithful pastor is absorbed. He's absorbed in these things. He takes pains with them. Paul spoke of that, and I know I'm over, over time, but y'all be patient with me just a moment. Paul spoke of that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 which to me is one of the clearest definitions of what a biblical pastor is. In 2 Corinthians, I think I said 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. You know, he went, he went through, and I've pointed this out before. He goes through, in the end of uh, 2 Corinthians 11, he goes through all these experiences he had, being lashed, being beaten, being shipwrecked, being in danger from robbers and countrymen and dangers from the Gentiles and the city. And labor and hardship, sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, without food and cold. And he comes down to verse 28. And he says, apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. To me, that is a, a single definition of a biblical pastor. There is on him the daily pressure of concern for the church. Eleven. A biblical pastor is growing. Already touched on this some. I won't uh, belabor it. It says, be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. You ought to see some, you know, I've been here almost eight years. I hope some of you can say, you know, he's, he's more mature than he was eight years ago. You know, I hope my wife can say, you know, he's, he's not there yet, but he's not what he was 20 years ago. I'll be making some progress. And then 12th, a, a faithful pastor is successful. You say successful, that's, a, that's an odd definition for a pastor. How do we measure success in the ministry? Is it by who has the biggest church? The biggest budget? Most programs, most people measure churches and ministries exactly that way. But notice what Paul says in verse 16. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, what? You'll build a big church. You'll have lots of members. You'll have a big budget. and You'll be on TV. If you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Pay attention to yourself and to your teaching, Paul says. For if you do that, you will be successful. And what is that success? It is you will ensure salvation for yourself 
And for those who hear you, let's not lose sight of the goal here, folks. Oh, I'd love to have a, a church four times this size. Wouldn't you? Let's not lose sight of the goal. What is the goal? It is, don't you want to go to heaven? Don't you want your children to go to heaven? That's what a successful ministry is. A successful minister is one where Christ is presented to the people and they're able to embrace Him as their own and when they know that He is theirs. I told you before, I, I sum my ministry up in two ways. One is, I teach you how to live and I prepare you to die. That's all there is, folks. I teach you how to live in a way that honors Christ and pleases Him, and I prepare you for that ultimate day that we're all coming to, where we will close our eyes in death. You are going to die, and your children are going to die. And the greatest gift I can give you is the assurance of salvation to know that you and your children are in Christ. I want that for me and my children. Don't you want that for you and your children? And if you have that, folks, we have a successful ministry here at North Point. But if we don't, it's a failure. If you don't hear Christ here in this church, if you don't feel that you are able to embrace Him, your children are appointed to Him here, you need to either find a new preacher or a new church. What does the hymn say? Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. And he says we had that wonderful assurance of salvation. That's what makes us successful. To know that Christ is real. Now, participation in this church and your involvement with me as the pastor of your church and with Gavin as the assistant pastor of this church, we're all coming to a better sense of how to live in a way that pleases Him. And to come to the assurance that we can die in peace. Let's pray. Lord God, help us be all that you've called us to be. We thank you so much for your word and for your church and for Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.